Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. He's exiting. Hey, White Sox fans. It's Brett Valentini here with you hosting once again. I don't know why I'm hosting this. Like I know anything about the minor leagues, but I, I guess I get to <laughs> How about that. Uh, it's number four. We are Southside Sox. We're down on the farm. I don't even know what we're calling it. Something about the farm. I'm thrown off because I'm not wearing a goofy hat. My wonderful, wonderful guest finally joining me. I've been sort of harassing her. I think for weeks, probably each one of these podcasts, I've been trying to set out little, uh, Little Easter eggs, and maybe she'll hear and say, hey, you know what? I got to get on this goddamn Southside Socks on the Farm podcast. I think I hear my name being called. Finally, like a month in, she's here with us. It's Julie Brady, my favorite miners writer for, well, my favorite writer for Southside Socks. I, I'm a little over the top when it comes to Julie, and it, maybe it embarrasses her. I don't care. I'm not going to stop. You know, if people, if you want me to gush over your ability, then kick ass with the writing like Julie does for us. She's finally back with us. She did Thursday and Friday uh, updates. She's going to be doing Thursday and Friday updates pretty much through the summer until she's had enough. Until she's had enough of me blathering on about her. But hey, anyway, enough of my yakking. Julie, great to have you on with us. Well, it's great to be back, right? Thank you. And I am going to keep an eye out for Chico. He was, he, he, he greeted me, but now he's disappeared. So I think he's receded to my sock drawer to take a nap. All right. We'll be listening for trains, drag racing. There's going to be something going on downtown. Because Julie's where, she's where the action is. The dash and drag racing. That's why she's here with us. I do favorite things. And Darren Black has been on all three of our On the Farm podcasts. You know, I'm, I'm tired of Darren. I love him. 
tired of them. I said, take a break. Take a week off, Darren. Julie's got this. Maybe next week, who knows? Maybe all three of us will be talking. Maybe finally I'll just bow out and, and some people actually know stuff about the miners will talk and you won't have to listen to me ask dumb questions and whatever. But anyway, uh, in the spirit of dumb questions, uh, Julie, let's start off with the Charlotte Knights. About a 50-50 team so far this season. Uh, AAA still seems to be, though we have a lot of stuff that's different about the minors now. We have less minor league teams. We have... Um, uh, we've missed an entire season, uh, but it still seems like uh, AAA is sort of like 4A graveyard in a lot of cases, uh, not necessarily what you consider to be the, the, the next step to the majors, just sort of like these guys are sort of in cold storage in a lot of cases. Uh, but there are at least a couple guys on the Knights who really have hit the ground running, absolutely uh, kicking ass so far this season. Gavin Sheets right, uh, right out of the gate went bananas, and he's still sort of sits as our very early, very premature organizational MVP with how well he's doing. And a guy now chasing him and pretty much ran on his tail, uh, Jake Berger, uh, who we're seeing highlights. Charlotte is tweeting out highlights of him like it seems like every inning. Um, what have you seen from these two guys so far? Obviously pretty impressive early on. Yeah, yeah. These are two guys that I've actually been lucky enough to see this year, which is obviously a very small sample size, but um I've I've never gotten to see Jake Berger play before that day uh like many of us have not so that was really exciting for me um and he got I think at least one hit uh I can't I was watching him at third base because like what's really incredible to me is not just that he's come back from two ruptured Achilles and is now hitting a home run like every day like that's that's I guess that's impressive but also like he's still playing third base which I just never would have imagined that he would still physically be able to do um, after that kind of injury mm-hmm. and he didn't get that many chances but like he didn't look terrible like, it was you know he, he didn't get to some balls that I don't think most fielders would not have gotten to and he did get to a couple that he should have so he gets a thumbs up a tentative thumbs up on the D for me for right now yeah this is this is a guy Julie who when he was drafted you thought okay he's a DH I mean yeah. you know god bless you Jake but I mean you don't I mean and no offense I mean there's we're not Again, I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I mean, he didn't look like a guy who could feel third base probably at any strong. level. And he looks now, very strong guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. The fact that he he's he's given up obviously some 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 heft. He hasn't lost what nimbleness he had that got him drafted in the first place. Because clearly, he could play third base at the collegiate mm-hmm. level, uh, or else he wouldn't be playing third base at the collegiate level. But uh, you know, he's a guy who hasn't sacrificed power by slimming down and uh, apparently, I assume, strengthening up. Um, and he's a guy who, yeah, Charlotte um, seems to be like, okay, it's a great third base play tweeted out. And then it's him hitting a double into the gap to the wall. And then it's a home run. And then it's a, a great a play ranging behind third base uh, and a strong throw. I mean, I was talking with Darren a week ago on the podcast and said, you know, he's really just like not wishing any ill on the big club because they need all the help. It's a whole nother podcast we can have, Julie, to talk about that crazy team. But, I mean, he's really just a tweaked hamstring from Yohan Moncada away from being in the major leagues, and that is an extraordinary story. I mean, this is May 2021, May of his real, like, first season, and he's that close to being in the major leagues. Yeah, and, like, any any production that Jake Berger does this season is, you know, plus, like, his baseline is zero. Like, we didn't expect anything from him after the two, the, I mean, like, his leg fell off. So, like, <laughs> anything that we're getting from him above zero is amazing. And, like, 
we're not just getting above zero. We're getting power and we're getting average. And like he, he had a rough start, like a rough maybe like first week where he went hitless in a couple games and like he had the quad strain or something like that. But since then, we're about to have a visitor. Since then, I mean, he, the power is there. The hitting is there. He, I think his batting average is up to like 260 or something. Uh, his OPS is over 1,000. So things are going well. That's a that's a very deft, 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 Julie, in that you can uh, quote stats, talk up Jake Berger with Chico Marx's sort of just butt in your face there. That's this is awesome. This is his typical Zoom routine. You woke up. You woke up quick, Chico. Yeah, he did. Um, Gavin Sheets, a guy who, uh, I mean, apparently this is the. This is the new mode for the White Sox. Just take guys who aren't outfielders and put them in the outfield. They're doing it at the major league level with Andrew Vaughn. They're doing it with Gavin Sheets. I believe this process probably started last summer where he sort of curiously wasn't even invited to the Schaumburg alt alt site, um, which I would take as a diss, but uh, maybe they did have a plan for him that said, hey, dude, learn to play right field. And he's played not quite half the games, but he has played a considerable amount in right field. Seems like he quits himself okay there. Uh, I'm still dreaming of the outfield for the White Sox, even though it means really bad things for the White Sox, where we just have like three guys who shouldn't even be out there just starting the outfield. We had the Trace Garcias a few years ago. Now I just want to have the three guys who should not even be in the outfield playing in the outfield. But Gammon Sheets, uh, it certainly hasn't affected him offensively, and he seems to be holding his own uh, pretty well in right field as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, When I saw him this year, he was landing free space, so probably a comfortable, you know, game for him but he has been in right field and I haven't heard anything about how like oh Gavin Sheets is the worst you know Gavin <laughs> Sheets can't even field um I think it's funny because like every time I've ever talked to anyone about Gavin Sheets it's like yeah this kid he's like six four he's huge like he just looks like a major leaguer he looks like he's gonna hit a home run every day and of course really he hasn't been doing that throughout his minor league career until kind of recently when really that power has been showing up more and the warning track clouds have become yeah. home runs and the game that I went to, he hit two home runs, um, which is funny because the first time I ever saw Gavin Sheets play in the very first series I ever saw him play, um, he also hit two home runs in one game. So like, we know the power's there and we know that he can access it and we know that now he's starting to access it a little bit more. So if he can keep doing that and keep the average up where it is, I mean, why would you not want to call him up just to give him a try? White Sox is pretty clear here. Get Julie Brady to Charlotte Knight's games. He hits two home runs when she sees him play. This is really simple math. It's not difficult. Uh, the fact that, you know, we're going to get to Birmingham, obviously, next. We're going to just run down the system because, you know, I'm a simple fella and it's easier for me to do it that way. Uh, but it's the Barians have, they seem to be breaking this myth or this mold of regions field and the fact that you can't hit in Birmingham. They're, they're slugging the hell out of the ball so far this year. Gavin Sheets might've been a guy who sort of started to break that down because even though he still wasn't really hitting a lot of homers in 2019, he put up a pretty good offensive season for such a terrible park. And people for 2020 were like, Oh my God, he's going to get the triple a ball, the major league ball. He's going to be in Charlotte. He's going to hit 50 home runs. And the early returns are maybe not 50 home runs, but, uh, yeah, as you said, he looks like a guy who, who, along with Berger, I mean, you really could call up and you're not going to hurt yourself by having those guys uh, potentially in the lineup or off the bench. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's time, you know, considering what we've been throwing out in right field at the major league level anyway. Uh, so I feel like 
you know, what's worse, the guy who's OBPing less than, you know, 300 or, or Gavin Sheets? Which one should we try? Guy with one leg who falls down at the wall all the time or Gavin Sheets? Oh, Danny Mendick, God bless him, but <laughs> Gavin Sheets. Right. At least give new guys a chance to fail before <laughs> like, just running out of meeting out there every day. I don't know. Let's talk, Julie, about a guy who's picked it up, uh, started maybe a little slowly like Jake Berger, uh, didn't hurt himself early on like Jake Berger did, but a guy who I think the White Sox really want to see succeed, want to have be the next call up, a guy who actually does have a place in the outfield, seems to be right field until this year. Now he's in left field, which is less useful, but Blake Rutherford seems to, while not putting the ball over the fence, is at least driving balls into gaps and getting a, an actual, some semblance of a slugging percentage, which is what Chris Getz has sort of been promising all along, even dating back to the alt site where he's like, oh my God, aside from Andrew Vaughn, the guy who's knocking the ball around the yard the most is Blake Rutherford. Yeah, he's been such a weird guy since we got him um, from the Yankees. He, like, he was on the 2018 Dash team that was so good. Um, and, you know, it wasn't like he had this power explosion, but he did hit for average pretty well, um, you know, hit doubles. And we all know what happened in 2019 when, like, all of our prospects made it to double A and then, like, forgot how to pick up a bat, except for Gavin Sheets and Lewis Robert and Nick Madrigal and your main Mercedes. Um, but he, I think, was the worst of them. I mean, he struggled harder than anyone. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, like, totally wrong about this, but I don't know if he had glasses before that or after that, or if there's something going on with his vision that year. Maybe I'm mixing him up with Ronaldo Lopez, who I know did recently have eye surgery. Um, but whatever it is with Rutherford, you know, yeah. hopefully at this point he's working with the right coaches. He's you know, watched video. I don't like. I don't even know what his problem would have been in 2019, other than just the advanced level and you know seeing good breaking stuff for the first time. But the fact that he's doing this well in Charlotte where pitchers are going to have stuff like that, that's highly encouraging. Yeah, here's what's wild about the circumstances, that obviously extremely unfortunate circumstances of missing an entire season. Uh, you know, the clock's still ticking. So, you, I mean, you're not going to just get to play where maybe you should be or where you left off. I mean, Blake Rutherford, by no stretch, earned a promotion, let's say, to AAA, but I mean, who did? You, yeah, you got to field somebody. Uh, so, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of these guys sort of matriculated just because it's like, well, okay, you know, it's another, you know, it's another year off your birth certificate. So now you're in AAA. And it's just fascinating to see how some guys, you know, aren't maybe handling that so well early. And Blake Rutherford, a guy that you wouldn't necessarily have thought would take it uh, head on, seemingly has. And he's, he's starting to look a little bit more like the, the prospect that we're expecting. And the first thought when it comes to Blake Rutherford, isn't just this frustration of, Oh my God, he's the guy we got for me. He's the only person we have left from this big Yankees trade. And he has, he can, he can't hit a home run and he's got glasses or, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, that these guys, uh, you know, that he's responded the way he has Gavin Sheets, you'd expect to come to Charlotte and be like, you know, he probably going to match pretty well, probably going to be really happy to be playing in Charlotte. Like Rutherford you had no idea what was going to happen. You roll the dice with him and you know, it's so far so good. Yeah, and I do remember, I think after the All-Star break in 2019, he did pick it up and he was starting to improve. I don't remember exactly where his average ended up that year, but it wasn't like total Raphael and like it been for those first like three really dismal months. And I do remember like writing the minor league recaps. It's like, okay, got two hits today. Like you can survive another day. Um, but like the the kind of fear of like, oh, he's like on his way out as a prospect. Like that's kind of receded a little bit. And now it's kind of like, Blake Rutherford, you know, optimism hours again. Yeah. Uh, Julie, the uh, White Sox starting rotation and starting rotation prospects going into the season 
was dismal, uh, was embarrassing that they had like three and a half starters. Um, and the truth is, obviously, this year, it does seem like they've managed to have five, even five plus, depending on how you want to like look at Michael Kopech. So that's just been a wonderful development for the White Sox. I do want to look at Michael Kopech. <laughs> the problem is when you get past five and a half, it's really sort of, it drops off to nothing, you know, right now. And that's, that's harsh toward a Jonathan Stever. Uh, sure. It's harsh toward a Jimmy Lambert, but the truth is these guys are, you know, uh, uh, rushed or not, you know, Jonathan Stever pitched in the majors last year, but Jimmy Lambert pitched and pitched pretty well before he got hurt in the majors last year, but there's really not a lot of depth there unless you're really talking about, uh, you know, a guy who played in uh, what the KBO last year and right. Um, there's not and Ronaldo Lopez. Uh, there's not really anything you can expect. Oh my gosh. An injury. Who are you going to call up? Is there any reason for, is it, you see any encouraging signs right now among that starting rotation? There's obvious things like Renal Lopez having a great start and then having an awful, awful start. Like the vision got messed up again. Uh, is there a guy, you know, um, in this rotation that you think um, could actually serve a purpose for the White Sox in a way that wouldn't just make you go, oh my God, I, I don't even want to look. Um, you know, I'm not super familiar with the Charlotte rotation, but I am going to get kind of back on my Jonathan Stever horse. Um, it might be more of like a pony or a large dog at this point. <laughs> but, so in 2019, you know, when Stever was first called up from Kannapolis, he hadn't done that well with Kannapolis and he had given up a lot of home runs and he just like didn't seem necessarily like he had pitched himself well enough to earn the promotion to the dash. But clearly they saw something in him and like clearly working with the pitching coaches there paid off, like, at least at first, because when he did come up, I saw probably between six and 10 starts, of, he didn't start 10 times, but like between five and like eight, maybe starts of his. And the first like half of them were really, really, really good where he was just attacking the strike zone and nobody could get the bet on the ball. And he was working at this like Burley-esque pace where it's just like catch the ball, throw the ball, catch the ball, throw the ball, really getting himself into a groove. But even as that season went on, those starts kind of decreased in frequency where it was like, instead of like, oh, it's Jonathan Steverdale, be out of here in two and a half hours, and then, you know, a two nothing ball game that he'll win. It was more like, oh, it's a Stever day. I hope it's still good, you know, um, as kind of the starts started to get more laborious and, you know, who's throwing more pitches and, and throwing more balls and giving up more contact and like started kind of getting bitten by the home run bug again. And at the time, I remember thinking like, this is one of his very first full seasons in baseball. This is his first time pitching at this level. Um, so like, I'm, I'm willing to forgive that. And then there was a pandemic. So this entire 2020 season, that would have been so interesting to see right. how Jonathan Stever developed during is a race. And instead, all we got is him being thrown in the big leagues, which clearly he was not ready for. Right. I would say that he is still not ready for them. Um, but I do think that I think that he right now is where with Charlotte he would be if there hadn't been a pandemic. Like, I think that he would still be in the minors working his way up and like, maybe he would have gotten a spot start by now, but I think that he really just needed some more time to work on, on the mechanics and on the head game, because that's such a big part of it. I think for young pitchers kind of thrown to the wolves in the majors, like, all right, like you were, you were pretty dominant in the minors. Good luck. Here's Miguel Cabrera or whatever. Um, (laughs) So I, th- I think that it, that he still does have the potential to be like a four or five starter. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up like that, but I'm not sure if he can get there without some significant time working on stuff in the minors. So I, I'm not, I'm not ready to give up hope on Jonathan Stever. I don't mm. think he sucks. Um, mm. I think that he's got a lot of promise. Um, I don't know if that promise will be able to pay off this year, uh, which I think was the question, but yeah. Um, 
I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not ready to, to dismount yet. So the answer is really, we do have to look away if any of the guys do get called up. And the White Sox really are, unfortunately, they're truly rolling the dice with what was a, well, we, I guess we could just call it an inactive um, uh, off season uh, going into a contention window year, a year that they aspire to a pennant. Um, but again, Julie, that's another podcast. So quit steering me that way. Would you quit dangling that carrot and get me to bite on this nastiness toward the White Sox? We're talking minors. We're hopeful. So on that note, two guys that you've seen who are struggling at the AAA level in the bullpen, but two guys you saw at Winston-Salem, I'm sure both were by and large probably lights out. Zach Birdie, um, Tyler Johnson. uh, I know Zach has obviously had uh, a lot bigger issues with injury, but Tyler also was derailed um, with, I want to say, I don't know, it was a lat injury. It was something, it was sort of a freak injury that really seemed to throw through him off of his, what seemed to be a pretty quick ascendance toward the majors. And now both of them are fairly stalled out. Uh, Is there one or the other that you have a a better feeling about it at, at this point? Because right now, Again, you know, you're almost like just throwing your hands up saying, well, I mean, I hope. Yeah. I mean, again, like I really wish we'd have a 2020 so we can like see these players at the crucial developmental right. stage of their careers. Um, it's so frustrating. And it's so like, unpre- I hate the word unprecedented these days, but like it is unprecedented. Like we have no idea how sure. players are going to respond to that kind of layoff. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure if I have ever seen Zach Birdie pre Tommy John. Hmm. Um, I, I think I've seen him a couple times since then. And you know, the velocity hasn't really been there and the control hasn't really been there and people are just getting on base and like, it it just, it it feels to me like perhaps the Zach Brady train has left the station and I'm not ready to write him off because I don't know, you know, enough about baseball or like injuries, (laughs) human body or whatever to, to, you know, say that. Cause like he was, he's, he's still so absurdly talented, you know, throwing 102 and, you know, just being totally liked out. Um, And I don't want to discount that someone who has that kind of natural talent can't come back with it. Um, but you know, he had Tommy John and that can, that can really kind of destroy your career. Um, Tyler Johnson, I remember seeing a bunch for the dash and he always looked pretty good. I'm not sure if he's someone that pitched enough at the higher levels. I would have to look at like his kind of station by station of his career, mm-hmm. but I, I'm not sure if he pitched enough at Charlotte um, or, or Birmingham even to like be able to predict how he would be able to handle upper levels like that. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not really sure. All right. Um, Let's uh, let's move west. Let's go to Birmingham, a team that has where it seems like every one of the minor league updates of our uh, this year, Julie, is the Carolinas lost and Birmingham won. What new? Yeah. Birmingham won again. Somehow, we're not really sure how they're doing it, and all the Carolina teams, some of some of them hyped, lost. Uh, Birmingham started out slugging the hell out of the ball, and then right after that, their pitching caught up. So they've had some stellar starting, including Blake Blattenfield has been the guy who's really stood out, uh, but there's been a number of guys, Connor Pilkington as well. Kay McClure had a, a poor start uh, last outing, but was lights out prior to that. Uh, they've got the the trio of sort of terrific relievers. I, I sort of think of as a group that is going to just ascend toward the majors together, Andrew Perez, Bennett Souza, and the Cannon. Um, you know, these, uh, <laughs> these three amigos sort of traveling yeah. together. Um, this team, I'm not sure anybody expected much from because these seem to be the guys that are like, well, they got to play somewhere. Um, their age, you know, sort of necessitates that double a, some guys like Taquan Forbes, like, seems like he's been there for like five years. 
He's breaking out this year. These guys are hitting the hell out of the ball in a park that I guess traditionally has been pretty unfriendly to hitters. They're hitting on the road. The starting pitching is great. They got a, a killer pedigree for a bullpen. So are these guys ever going to cool down? Well, I, I hope not. <laughs> I hope continue doing this until they all reach the majors and kind of force the issue. Um, yeah, they're they're a weird team because like some of them are like weirdly old for the league and some of them are on like their 10th repeat of double A. Um, a bunch of them are kind of like utility men. Um, Zach Remillard, um, let me party him back for the first Zach Remillard mention. He's in Charlotte now, obviously. Um, he was called up there, but for a while they both had Zach Remillard and Tyquan Forbes, and both of those guys can kind of play wherever. Right. Um, so they, the Barons kind of have a lot of roster flexibility. Um, I'm not 100% sure how it works with like the minor league COVID bubbles and, and those kind of um, guidelines, but you would imagine that if, they're, if they want to like – promote Yulbert Sanchez or something. They could do that pretty easily. Like there's no one blocking anyone at, at the no. Barons because they can all just kind of play wherever. Um, has, do you, I have not seen stats from Will Cannon this year. Is he doing well? Has he pitched? He's pitched. Uh, yeah, okay. I think he's, I mean, I think all three guys, I want to say Susan Prez both maybe had one, uh, one maybe mediocre outing. I don't think, I think Cannon has pitched less, but I don't think he's had a bad outing. I think these three guys are still, Still in lockstep, and, yeah, and that's, I think that's it's cute. Much, it's fun. <laughs> that's pretty much what I saw in 2019 when they all pitched together. Um, and I remember like tracking them in Canapolis, and then they all came up to Winston, and I was like, oh, yeah. that's so exciting. And then they were all pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, I tend to think of Vince Arobio as one of those guys, too, although I know that he True. was called up to either the Barons or the Knights and got like totally shelled. Um, but I, I think he's still pitching this year. Um, yeah, the, given that the White Sox keep doing this thing where they just like, Go like this and like reach into a hat with <laughs> all the minor league pitchers names in it. And like whoever they pick out, oh, Cody Hoyer is like suddenly a star. So I'm really hopeful that at least at least one of those guys is gonna be like that. And I wouldn't be surprised if King Cannon. It's nice that you that you just described that picking out of a hat to the minor leagues, Julie, because we what? know that happened at the major league level. Oh, absolutely. No Mark Mazzara. Huh. Okay, uh, Mike Adolfo went from being the coldest of cold cats to the hottest of MVPs. He's, I mean, this is early in the season, so you're going to see swings like this where a guy jumps from one list to the other. But this guy has had an unbelievably kick-ass week. Uh, he's a guy who you think would have probably sort of left broke camp maybe with a little of a sour taste in his mouth because he seemed like a guy who could be aspiring to AAA. Instead, is being forced to prove himself a AA and out of the gate, did not look like he was going to be able to prove himself at double A because he was pretty bad the first week, 10 days of the season. Uh, and now uh, Micah woke up and he's playing right field. He's already got at least an assist. I know he played in fall league in 2019. So this isn't his, isn't his first experience, but he's still getting back out into the field as well. seems like the arm is there. Um, pretty exciting development for a guy who seemingly has been in the system since about 1985 to yep. finally be starting to put together some weeks where maybe he can get to Charlotte. And who knows? I, I, I think you've alluded to the fact that there are openings at the major league level in the outfield, Julie. So who's to say? Um, yeah. Yeah. Mike, I mean, he just needs to play as often as he can. And that's been hard for him because he's been injured. I mean, almost since we signed him signed, I think at age 16, I think he's still only 24, which means that he's been in our system for like eight years. Um, but really he's only had a few full seasons yeah. and I have seen him kind of a bunch um, in 2018. He was on that really talented dash team. He was healthy. 
And I, I always say this about Mike Rodolfo, like you look at a team of minor leaguers and they look like they're minor leaguers. And like some of them might, you know, grow up to be a major leaguer. Um, some of them look like Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, and you can tell them from across the baseball field. And Mike Rodolfo is one of those guys. He's one of those guys who stands next to the rest of his teammates. And you kind of like go down the line and you're like minor leaguer, minor leaguer, minor right. major leaguer. Like yeah. he's just built like that. He just looks like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he puts the bat on the ball, it sounds like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he can really hit it a mile and he really hit well in 2018, which was, I think, kind of the only year that he was able to put down some real playing time yeah. without an injury. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just like everyone else, he ran into that wall in the Barrens in 2019. He was hurt again. Um, and I think that he came back in 2019 before he was totally healed. Yeah. And I think that contributed to his like total lack of power plus the ballpark um, and total lack of average. So I think that if he's totally healthy now, uh, he, I don't think that they would want to keep him in double A for that long. Um, I think that, you know, they desperately need outfielders desperately. So yeah. if he shows signs of being able to keep up with Birmingham, I don't think that, that he would be down there long. It would be really, really cool to see him in the major leagues. Yeah. And the White Sox did that weird thing after his Tommy John year where it was like, well, He's not going to throw. He can swing. It doesn't affect him swinging, so he can get back out there. And, I mean, I'm sure that's true. They're obviously not going to jeopardize one of their top prospects by deciding to run him out there. But, yeah, I mean, mentally, um, the fact that he can't play both sides of the game, I mean, who knows what effect that has. And, and obviously, his offensive game wasn't really particularly there uh, post-injury uh, either. Okay, uh, he has been injured a little bit because he got uh, hit by pitch. Uh, I guess a little bit of, a bit of a bone bruise maybe on his hand. Romy Gonzalez. And talking to Darren Black, he's like, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, he played like all over the place at Miami or something. I'm like, no, hold on a second. The guy played like left field. Now he's playing shortstop. I know this is the thing for the White Sox now. Just like take a guy, it's that hat again, take a guy and just, okay, now he's a first baseman. And maybe he'll be a catcher. Tyler Rosick, yeah, he's a catcher now. Uh, Romy left field to shortstop seems to be doing started out gangbusters got a little banged up but still uh pretty impressive here looks like a guy who who could be something yeah I have never gotten to see Romy Gonzalez play because he was on the Canapolis former intimidators for all of 2019 and then there was a pandemic um and now he's on the Barons which I'm really mad about because I wanted to see (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he hit well in 2019 and he's hitting so well now. I keep seeing videos of him like just depositing dongs in the outfield. It's like, damn, it's impressive. And I'm going to just go ahead and say, I'm calling him Romy. Uh, Darren's calling him Rami. I don't know what it is. And you haven't seen a play, so you didn't hear the PA say Romy yeah. Rami. Yeah. Romy I, Rami, we like you no matter what, no matter how you pronounce your name, feel free to let us know. No. All right, we talked about the pitching, talked about the bullpen. Um, I guess, you know, Julie, um, we're going to go back to North Carolina, but, you know, before we go back east uh, to what I've learned now is at least Kannapolis is in the triad. I know about, like, the research triangle, but apparently is it a triad is, is next to the research triangle? Charlotte, that they might be, like, swept in with Charlotte, you know? Mm, okay. But, like, I... Winston-Salem is in like the little, you know, it's Winston-Greensboro high point. So there's several different like triad triangles. Very triangular in North Carolina. You wouldn't necessarily think that, but all right. Well, I thought I learned something. Maybe I'm I'm wrong a lot, Uh, but here's something that's not wrong. We have to break for a very 
short, short sponsor message, Julie. If you're watching the video, the five, 10, maybe dozen of you who are watching, just shut your eyes briefly because we'll be right, right back faster than you think. And for those of you listening, we'll be back in about a minute. Buy whatever you're being told to buy by SB Nation, please. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey there, White Sox fans. It's Brett Ballantini hosting, somehow, for some reason, hosting... Episode number four, Southside Sox on the farm with our Winston-Salem Dash and minor leagues at large writer, Julie Brady. It's a delight to have her back. We haven't spoken since, uh, it's been about a year. And uh, uh, Chico Marks is um, is in the house. Uh, we haven't been interrupted by a train, drag racing, or Maroon 5, disappointing me on this end. However, uh, there's still half a show to go, so perhaps... Perhaps there could be a disaster looming with on the prowl. Okay, we have motored back east, and we are going to, well, we're going to arrive right on your doorstep, Julie, and we're going to talk about the Winston-Salem Dash. Another team like Charlotte, about 50-50 this season. Uh, they, they haven't really done anything that's been extraordinarily impressive. They seem to be finding ways to eke out wins, which is, I would think, a good sign. Um, but tell me, you're closer to this team than any of the others. Just your initial impressions on the early dash season. Yeah, my my initial impression, like looking at the roster, and I've I've only been able to physically go to opening day, so I haven't been able to see them in action that much. But reading the roster, they have a few position players that I've been excited to see. Um, but their pitchers, like I had never heard of the starting rotation. I don't even really know who it is. Like it was just a bunch of like names that I had never heard and some of them were like recently signed as undrafted free agents and some of them you know had just been like in the very low levels of the minors for a while um but you know the pitching has has been surprisingly good they they came very close to pitching um a a no-hitter the other day um Davis Martin who had like an ERA above five for the Intimidators in 2019 five perfect innings um, and then Jeremiah Burke came on in relief and gave up three hits. But I mean, that's still pretty good, right? Like a shutout with three hits. Um, so I'm, I'm eager and interested to see how their pitching will develop because like it's just a black hole of knowledge for me. I just have no idea who any of them are, except for Lane Ramsey, who is like seven feet tall. Yep. And I saw him on the mound and it was just like, oh, my God, that guy is seven feet tall. Like he's so tall. That if I saw him like walking towards me on the street, I would run away because it just doesn't seem like people should be that tall. Mm-hmm. Or you'd go home and say, "Did Winston Salem get an NBA team, or do they even have a developmental team, or do they have an incredibly good college program?" I'm not aware of because what is this guy doing walking my neighborhoods? This is. I but they know. do. 
the Dash actually do that now that you've mentioned it, they have the Disco Turkeys, which is some collegiate league team or something. I don't know. It's the Disco Turkeys. So I'm pretty sure that since the Dash are out of town, they probably spent the last week Disco turkeying it up. What is it about turkeys and chickens? We, I haven't even, I've completely forgotten about rally chicken. And now you've reminded me that there's a rally chicken and I'm much happier now. I was already happy, Julie. Now I'm happier that, that there's a thing called a rally chicken. Different world. I hadn't thought about rally chicken all through the pandemic. We were so innocent back then. I hope rally, I hope rally chicken's okay. I hope rally chicken survived the pandemic. Yeah, I don't know if the Dash, like, I don't know what their entire front office went through. I don't know what their, like, media or game, you know, you know, show basically went through. So hopefully the, the Rally Chicken hasn't been, like, relegated to a USB drive that's, like, forgotten somewhere. Uh, listeners, readers, viewers, trust that if there's anything Julie Brady will do for us this season, she will give us the full scoop and the full story on the Rally Chicken's whereabouts, uh, perhaps evolution of Rally Chicken. Um uh, and Rally Chicken also transforms into Techno Chicken. Do I have that right? Or the way around. I think it was originally uh, Techno Chicken, okay. and then it became, for the purpose of baseball games, Rally Chicken. <laughs> yeah. See, these, this is the backstory that... Minor League Baseball knowledge. Yes, frankly, Julie, this is why you're here. Okay, uh, the story of the Dash season, uh, certainly offensively and probably just the whole season, Luis Corbello, a guy who's like, he's one of those guys, well, okay, he's got to go Winston-Salem Dash now. He's age blank blank, so he, he better be on that roster now, uh, has decided to say, oh, yeah, I am supposed to be on this roster, and I'm supposed to be on the Birmingham roster because he's hitting the hell out of the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's one of the guys that I kind of like he and Alex Destino were always the guys that I looked at at the Canapolis roster in 2019. Um, so it's really nice to see that like, this is where they should have been last year and, and Curbelo especially, but even Destino to an extent have been like, yes, this is where we belong indeed. Um, you know, and, and perhaps even better. So again, I don't know, like I've, I've heard that triple A and double A are kind of in a bubble and then mm-hmm. everything lower is in its own bubble. So I think that we're probably going to see fewer promotions between a ball and double A this year. Um, but like, I mean, again, if they just keep playing like that, sure. They're not being blocked. Um, it's really interesting. It's just interesting to me to finally be able to like see these guys in person that, that have been an hour and a half away down the road, which is certainly not insurmountable, but it is for me when I don't want to drive. An hour and a half. <laughs> um, so it's kind of nice. Like, Oh yeah, I do get to see Luis Cremello if right. I want to. That's dope. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I think Getz had said, you know, don't expect a lot of promotions this year because just the weirdness, the, the season right. itself is a little shorter. It's trimmed by a month. Uh, and I've been a little surprised that there actually has been pretty early movement. I mean, it's maybe just been a handful of guys, but I was sort of expecting nothing uh, because let's face it, we're just a, you know, we're a month, we're not even a month, okay, well, maybe about a month in. Um, and there's already been a little bit of shifting. So I, that's even, that's even surprised me. So yeah, things might be more fluid than we expect, or maybe that's just going to be, maybe some guys are really going to just force their way. A couple of guys, you know, we're going to see at the A level, uh, some guys who just got thrust in, some are playing at either one of these levels, their first professional uh, full seasons, um, guys who you would argue might be a little rushed. Um, Luis yeah. Meneses is a guy who started out real hot, has really cooled off. Uh, Bryce Bush has just sort of struggled um, throughout, and this is sort of a continuing story for him and, and also still uh, injury woes. Um, you're at the A level, um, the team right in front of you, and then down the road in Canapolis, um, 
are, we're going to have stories. We're going to have inspiring stories, some exciting ones where guys are just, they might even be biting at uh, Birmingham, even from Canapolis, who knows? Uh, and then there's going to be guys who, geez, I mean, where do they go in the second half of the season? Where do they go next season? Because um, they might be hitting a wall here. Uh, even the young guys uh, at single A, and that's, it's not something you want to see. Right. Yeah. And, and losing the Voyagers and all of our short season clubs and the DSL and everything. I, I, hate, I just hate it because we, we've got a bunch of the DSL guys from that really good 2019 DSL team that was like, they led the league in walks and they were all batting like 330. Yeah. Um, but they were all like, you know, between the ages of you know 16 and 21 um, and had never played stateside in a full season. So we've got guys like Janabel Laureano, who's over here now. Um, you've got, uh, I think, Harvey Mendoza is over here. Mm-hmm. Benjamin Bailey, obviously, is down with uh, the Cannonballers. And really, like, these guys, I, I, I didn't think I was going to get to see Benjamin Bailey until, like, 2023, you know, because right. he's, I think, still 18 or 19. Yeah, he's very young. And they just really don't have a, a spot in the full season leagues yet. And it's such a bummer because, like, I really hope it doesn't affect their confidence or their approach or their development at all. Um, and I know that, you know, all teams are in the same boat. So everyone's just trying to find a new equilibrium. Um, but it, it sucks that it's seemingly potentially coming at the cost of a few careers. That makes me really sad. The TSL team was so crazy because I know uh, records don't matter anything and in, at any level, the minors, uh, the White Sox for the past decade have acted like the major league record doesn't count for anything. So, uh, but I mean, they went from being like, they had like a 200, win, they had like a 150 winning percentage. And then the next year they were, and I know a lot of personal change in that, but they went nuts. And I was like, wow, this is, this is real. I like being on this side, not the other side where it's like, wow, they lost 18 to one again. I forgot how terrible that one DSL team was the year before that. My God, they were awful. They were awful. But then this team comes up and, you know, 17 year old at the time, Benjamin Bailey led the entire league in walks. And like, you know, it's the DSL and, you know, pitchers have a hard time finding the strikes on there. Um, I remember reporting on a game um, where there were like eight walks in one inning and it was, up until this year, I thought that was the worst inning I was going to ever get to see before um, the Alec Hansen and a cast of thousands extraordinary at the Barons mm-hmm. earlier. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, that was just kind of a normal, you know, box score for the DSL um, in that time. So like a very, a very chaotic league, but I love yeah. it. Let's face it, uh, Julie, um, th- there's some 15 year old kid pitching in the DSL. He sees Benjamin Bailey, who's like seven foot five already. Right. I probably yeah. wouldn't pitch to him either. Like I'm um, going to higher now that's fine yeah because if you strike him out he, i i would be afraid he'd come after me you know huge, huge. when i was a kid one of the first games i saw at chicago stadium bulls was tom burleson seven foot four he got kicked out of the game he kicked a chair he looked really angry and i thought he was going to come out into the stands and he was going <laughs> to get me i was so frightened yeah. by this this monster and i'm not exactly saying a dsl pitcher should feel that way but i don't know how confident i'd feel he wouldn't just charge them out yeah i struck him out i don't know and um, i was or I would charge them on every single time I got out. Even if I grounded out, I'd be like, this is your fault. <laughs> okay, we're not going to buzz past Annapolis, but let us uh, let me address a question with you because you're referring to the fact that uh, Great Falls is, is gone. Uh, uh, um, excitingly uh, tweeted out a picture the other day, team photo with snow on the ground, um, which I found very entertaining. And they, they just they, they tweeted out with pride. So they're not trying to hide it, that uh, it's actually late May and there's snow on the ground. Um, but it's Montana, but that league's gone. And that was a pretty key step for players. And we're seeing guys now, even at high A and certainly low A who wouldn't be there otherwise. What do you think the chances are given the fact that it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense for 
major league teams to want fewer minor league players or minor league teams. I imagine that might be a subject to debate, but what are the chances of the White Sox uh, deciding to perhaps suit up a second Arizona team? A lot of teams already do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, White Sox don't. You think you do not want to have only, let me do the quick math, six teams. Um, You think there's any chance of that? I know it's not the same as having Great Falls, but... I mean, just based on that our owner is named Jerry Reinsdorf, I would say absolutely not. My God, he couldn't even buy a right fielder for the major league team. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they didn't, they only had one DSL team and every other, not right. every other, most other teams had two. Yeah, well. And like, we, you know, they had like four catchers <laughs> on the roster that were just not getting playing time. So if they couldn't add another DSL team, I would be shocked if they had another AZL team, which to be clear, they absolutely should. Mm -hmm. And they should, you know, be paying these players living wages. I don't know if they are, but I'm guessing they're not. Um, You like, you know, that Jerry Reinsdorf has supported the push to shorten the draft to five rounds or whatever it's going to be this year, 20 rounds or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't care about player depth. He just doesn't, he doesn't Mm -hmm. care about player development. He's, you know, if you were a 50th rounder or, you know, a 35th rounder who maybe eventually would have made the Hall of Fame, sorry, Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't want to pay you, so yeah. good luck. And Julie, if he was a aggressive owner at the major league level and just said, you know, I want to just pluck guys from the Marlins. I want to make trades that steal from them. I want to sign the big contracts when they come up and, you know, Kansas City can't afford them. So, hey, he's going to go to the White Sox. That might be one thing. Probably still not the best strategy, but at least you could say, well, that's his angle. He's doing the Steinbrenner thing. Okay. Uh, no, he's not doing that either. Again, another podcast. Um, oh, and he's, doing, our- he's doing something all right. <laughs> yeah. He's not doing anything to help the White Sox, but he's doing something. He's doing something. Okay, let's reel it back in because you couldn't even humor me on that Arizona thing, Julian. I don't blame you. Uh, let's go to Kannapolis uh, where, well, you know, we saved the best for last because this isn't the best team, but it is the best story. Holy cats. Um, it's hard to win just two out of whatever it is now. What is it, 16 games, 18 games? It's pretty hard to do that. And I don't care how young they are, how this doesn't matter and the record doesn't matter and these are some fluke losses or whatever. This is pretty hard to do. They're got to be close to the bottom. I know they're not at the bottom, but they might be second to the bottom in all of organized baseball. That's hard to do, Julie. Do you have an explanation for it? Because this is why we're talking. And I just kind of what we've said about the year long layout and the DSL and the short season. And like, there's just nowhere to put all these really young guys who've never had this kind of experience before. It's like, all right, yeah. you live in North Carolina now. Good luck. I guess. <laughs> and you get 300 bucks a month. Go crazy. <laughs> and you have to find your own housing. Like, okay. I feel like this might be kind of stressful for some of these players, you know, I, I after, you know, <laughs> I think you are aware of the global pandemic um, that's still occurring, but. <laughs> You know, I can only imagine that that did not make life easy for minor leaguers in 2020. And I feel like psychologically, I'm sure they're all dealing with like the fallout from the pandemic and the fallout from the season and the fallout from like being at an advanced level that they're not prepared for yet. So I, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if better coaching would help. I don't know if just getting older and more experienced will help, you know, maybe it's just that they have to go out there and play every game until they're kind of used to baseball at this level and then yeah. maybe we'll start seeing some wins but it's it's not even like they've been unlucky you know yeah. it's, it's just been bad it hasn't yeah. been like a bunch of close games it's been like they're bad yeah they get like two they're averaging like two hits a game right yeah and there's been no hit already i'm pretty sure 
Yes. And you're right that um, there probably are some real stresses, especially guys who are playing stateside for the first time. And there's a number of those guys on this team. Um, Jerry Kelly can only, he can only loan out so much money. Yeah. I mean, you know, he can only treat the whole team to the dollar menu at McDonald's so many times where he's like, okay, come on. You know, I had to put some away for God's sake. Um, Jerry Kelly's a guy to talk about because he did just recently finally have an appearance. that was pretty darn good. Um, short. He's clearly on a leash. Um, you know, as he should be, uh, and really even the guys who are a uh, couple draft classes, uh, well, a draft class older than him, uh, Matthew Thompson, uh, Drew Dalkos, uh, both guys, I'm sure, who are all going to, there's a number of guys who are going to be on some sort of leash. I mean, you got Kopech at the big club, and pretty much at every level, you got guys, you know, coming out of the pandemic, coming out, cough, off an of injury, or just sheer lack of experience, who are going to be sort of held down and, and kept having very modest outings. But Jared Kelly did finally put it together. And for him, it seems like control is a real key issue. And this last outing he had, I think it was just three innings, but he found that control. And hopefully that's something he can build on because as much as nothing bad from this year should, should really affect his stock too badly. He's the number one prospect in the organization. Um, something good, you know, can't make him say, well, this is easy. I'm in the majors next year, but I think you'd rather have the latter and that would probably mean a lot towards his next season in Winston-Salem um, and, and stretching himself out with, with, you know, more and more confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that like you brought up the, the three innings, that's just something not specific to him, but I've noticed that across yeah. all of our minor leagues that like they're being very cautious starting pitchers. And I think that's great. I mean, between the year long layoff because there was a pandemic um, and you know, whatever new season, I, I just like that they're just being very careful. Like when they took Davis Martin out of the perfect game after five innings, he had only thrown like 65 pitches. Um, and I'm sure he did not want to be taken out, but I'm glad that they did because he hasn't pitched professionally in over a year. And we just, we can't be risking guys' arms like that. So um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Canapolis has kind of the interesting pitchers. Like I said, I don't, I don't really know what's happening at Winston-Salem with pitchers, um, even though they're doing okay. All of the interesting like, prospects are down with Canapolis. So, you know, Jared Kelly and, Dalquist and Thompson and all the guys that I haven't gotten a chance to see yet hopefully will um I, you know I don't even know what their velocity looks like I, you know, my, my big thing about going to games to scout pitchers is like I can tell what their pitches are as long as their pitches are fastball or breaking ball and I <laughs> more specific than that um so hopefully I'll get to make that judgment about Jared Kelly at some point this season um but yeah I mean I, there were a few of those guys that were really touted as being pretty polished when they were drafted. Um, and like, I'm it's just a big hat that they reach into. And every once in a while, there's a really good pitcher on it. Um, so hopefully, you know, bullpen and starting rotation will, will have a future in Canapolis. Yeah. Um, now I know neither of us have seen much of him. Uh, I was wowed enough by Jose Rodriguez to make mm-hmm. him a very uh, high I've mentioned this a couple times. I'm pretty sure anybody listening is annoyed by me mentioning the fact that uh, I was really, really excited by what Jose Rodriguez did with a bat in Arizona in 2019. Uh, he didn't appear to be as poor a shortstop as it looks like he might be. Um, he seems to have a bat that could, could play at third. I don't know if he has the arm. Um, again, sight unseen with these guys. I'm, I'm sure this is the case for you and pretty much all of these guys at Kannapolis. Um, but it's just exciting to see a guy who really has never not hit DSL to Arizona, not at Kannapolis. It's like, he's laughing at the competition. I know he's a l- maybe a little old 
for low A, that's probably going to be rectified quickly. Uh, but Jose Rodriguez has really just, to, I mean, on a team that is not hitting at all, he is really the one guy in the club who um, is not dependent on the team hitting to uh, solid kind. He seems like a guy you can't miss in that bat of already, and he's low A. Yeah, yeah. Is he 21? Do you know? I think he, I think he, is, I want to say he's just maybe just a touch, touch old for the level. I mean, he's not, he's not a Benjamin, Benjamin Bailey um, baby age, but right, right. Um, he's a guy who's probably about where he should be. So, you know, it's not a matter of, oh my God, what is this guy, you know, doing? He's going to be in the majors this year, but it's still fielding his position or not. It's been pretty extraordinary that pretty much now for a straight month, he's done nothing but just knock the crap out of the ball. Yeah. It's kind of like, the cannonballers are the new barons. They're the 2021 barons. Um, we're just like, nobody can hit. Yeah. Jose Rodriguez until recently was hitting above 300 and literally every other starting position yeah. player was under 200. Yeah. So it's a bunch of like 180, 190, and then yeah. 313. Yeah. So like that draws your eye, you know, when you're looking down a box score, um, especially when you're three weeks into the season as yeah. we are, and, you know, things are not normalized necessarily, but right. you know, you would like to see some numbers above 200 there. Um, and that's, he's like hitting dongs. He's not fielding, but he's definitely hitting. Yeah. It's amazing that he, you know, whatever he's doing, you, you want this to spread, whatever his pregame meal is, you want some of this because he's really no more hype than Brian Ramos yeah, or a right. DJ Gladney or uh, even Benjamin Bailey, who's coming up sort of, t- you know, it, it, it is, you know, pretty much just jumping in the States type ball, you know, pretty two feet in. Uh, okay. I mean, there's some pretty hyped guys and Rodriguez is the only guy hitting, uh, Bailey is starting to hit, but it's, it's, he's not really slugging, uh, Gladney's not really hitting, but he has slugged a little. I mean, nobody else has really put it together. Um, you think, do you have a sense of maybe how long into the season before maybe these guys do get their footing? Obviously this is such a new experience to them and you, you, it would have been strange that all of them ended up playing like Jose Rodriguez. Uh, but you do sort of want to know what is he doing because it seems like he's got it solved and a very talent-laden roster uh, hasn't sorted it out yet. Yeah, that's super weird, and I have no explanation for it. Like, I just – I truly have no idea. I mean, it could be by the All-Star break, these guys have had enough at-bats that they have adjusted to the league and are starting to get a hit, or it could be by the All-Star break, we've realized that they can't hit breaking stuff, and, you know, that's kind of that's kind of all she wrote. Um, so it's just, it's such a weird year. It's such a weird year. And like, you know, I don't think that Jose Rodriguez is the most talented hitter on that team, but right now he's hitting way better than the most talented hitters on that team. So like, maybe he is, I don't know. Um, it's so hard to evaluate where people are now and what people's ceilings still are after that year layoff. It's, it's so hard to evaluate. I would hate to be a professional scout right now, like having to make recommendations (laughs) to my GM, uh, I don't know, like try, I guess. Yeah. Here's what the gun said. Uh, okay. So you guys all heard it. Maybe even a couple of you saw it. Uh, yeah. Julie just called out my, my hype on Jose Rodriguez. She just called it out. <laughs> she said, Brett, you're too hot on this guy and time will prove me right. Okay. Julie, tell me this because let's say Rodriguez aside, because you know, yeah, right. <laughs> Catch the wave with him now. Right. Sorry guys. You're late. Uh, and Benjamin Beal, obviously, he's just come out of nowhere. He's a man child, for God's sake. The guy puts any kind of muscle on. I mean, this is like, I think I said, uh, Darren, uh, last week that it's going to be like 
Frank Tom, eugenics Frank Thomas now, not when Frank Thomas was playing. Uh, but anyway, those two guys aside, um, who's the guy that you're most interested in seeing when he is promoted to Winston-Salem, assuming you won't see him in Kannapolis, who's the guy you're most intrigued by uh, seeing uh, among those offenses? You mentioned that, that, that Jose might not even be the most talented hitter. Who's the guy who jumps out at you as, as being your most excited? Now I'm being called out on my own knowledge of the campus. I'm uh, quickly pulling up now. Um, but without even looking at it, I would say probably DJ Gladney, um, just because of his 2019 and like, he kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. Yeah. Um, he was drafted, I think, relatively highly, but he was just such a fascinating story because he was 17, right? In the AZL, like yeah. a literal actual child yeah. playing professional baseball yeah. at an age when most of us are like still having our mom, you know, make lunch for us. <laughs> That's that's really incredible to me, and I think that DJ Gladney is such a good name, and he plays third base, right? Like, yeah. I just I don't see how you could not root for that. And like, I, I he's so again he's so young that I think it's so hard to judge his actual talent, especially with the last year and especially without the short season. Um, but I think he's really exciting. I love the and fact- he could he could very easily end up being totally nothing, yeah. but maybe he's something. Yeah, I love the fact that in that on that Arizona team that was just mashing, including Jose Rodriguez, um, you had Brian Ramos and you had mm-hmm. DJ Gladney, both third basemen, both yeah. hit the hell out of the ball. And now again, that's sort of like just thrown somewhere. Brian Ramos is a second baseman now. I, he didn't play second base in Arizona at all. Nice the second baseman because it's like I mean you do need at bats for these guys. There's only one DH spot, um, mm-hmm. and you know I guess why not? I guess Brian's a little. Um, smaller and maybe his arm i guess his arm probably isn't as strong but now he's just second baseman now because they got to get both of these bats in the lineup um to see what they have and you're right it could turn out to be nothing but the, but the promise they had in arizona and i don't remember what that arizona team record was i'm guessing it's probably about 500 or something they didn't they didn't set the league on fire but man they had some bats and uh you know you mentioned dj you could easily say uh, ramos as well because both of them had pretty good uh arizona campaigns and now you know they're sort of coming up together i mean we talk about the the three relievers now in birmingham but man this is a core of offense it's so ironic that without question everybody was like who are you looking for in the white Sox system this year and everybody's like cannapolis not because of the new name not because of the new stadium just look at this team and you know we know some guys are getting rushed and you know benjamin bailey's like 11 but he's on the team um but you know people are just drooling over this team and you know it's sort of ironic <laughs> so horribly they can't win they can't hit so can't really pitch uh it's like you're not having fun but it is very funny because you're right every single prospect writer like whether or not for the white Sox, yeah was like oh Kinepolis. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anything could happen right and certainly has yeah yeah now Darren has predicted that they will in the second half probably win the division. And, you know, who knows? They might get it together that they will win the second half division because they have that much talent. Clearly, this is a team that can be a division winner, even though they have not indicated that at all so far. Um, it would be a funny turnaround, and it's I'm, I'm sure it's not unprecedented. Um, when these guys do figure it out at whatever level, it might be Winston before they, you know, they, they've sort of figured it all out. But when they figure it out, it is going to be fun to watch. And maybe it was a little too quick to say, oh, man, from opening day in their new ballpark with their crazy new logo, uh, man, they're just going to go. They're going to have, you know, they're going to have 11 homers in the first game. Well, okay, that didn't happen. It has not coming to pass. The first month has been pretty much washed. But, boy, when they do figure it out, and that is going to be a fun. You are going to actually jump in the car. Despite not wanting to drive, you are going to jump in the car and get down there and see them because, like, 
holy cow. I mean, there's probably few team, few professional teams out there who might be able to string hits the way this team could. <laughs> Let's see. Right, right. You know. Uh, also, their name is the Cannonballers, and it's two words, and I don't understand it's not one word. <laughs> well, I figured immediately it was because you could just, they could just be ballers, and that's just like, that's yeah, like, that's like, like happening. And that doesn't mean anything. Though. <laughs> well, they just, named a team after a guy who gets shot out of a cannon, I think. Is that, yeah. that what he's supposed to be, right? I mean, that's sort of weird, too. Yeah, that's true. And they've and and he sort of still looks like Dale because all the Dale Earnhardt fans got mad. They changed the name, right. so he sort of looks right. like Dale Earnhardt. So there's some yeah. weird pandering going on. Uh, yeah, it's a weird scene. Pandering? I would, I'm shocked. Yeah, you know, I've heard it happens. I'm not, you know, again, I don't even know why I'm here talking to you because what do I know about probably anything, Julie, certainly in the minor leagues, but I've heard that that does happen and that there are some like wacky mascots and uh, and some strange promotions and uh, sometimes chickens are on the scoreboard just because, you know. I have to do a deeper dive on this. Uh, Okay, well, we've probably exhausted these four teams well, and though I would like to talk to you for a whole other hour, for the sake of our listeners, perhaps it's best to just table that, talk about Jerry Reinsdorf, talk about pain minor leaguers, talk about... You're welcome. You know, uh, there's a lot probably still to discuss, so I think we better do it sooner than maybe a year from now. So let's plan on doing that. We have Julie Brady writing for us a couple times a week. That's the that's one third of the minor league season. There's only six nights of games uh, these days with the new pandemic schedule. So that's a third. We got her for a third of the coverage. That's awesome. So Julie's with us. She's rocking Thursdays and Fridays. Um, you got, I don't care if, I don't know why you're listening to this. If you don't like the minor leagues, why, why would you be doing that? But in case you just stumbled into this or it just auto played and somehow you skipped to like the hour mark. Um, do yourself a favor, read some of her write-ups. You're going to get a kick out of it. It's going to entertain you. You might learn something, but I tell you, I don't know about the learning thing. It is going to entertain you. So if you're adverse to the minors or, you know, the White Sox are competing now, so who cares about the minor leagues, you know, because you're, you're, you know, you got, you're stuck up about the minor leagues, whatever. Just do yourself a favor. You can vote. <laughs> you vote. Yeah, there's like a ton of, you know, I know people like, love to make fun of me for all the polls oh they love to do that but you know what we get a lot of people voting so i'm i'm not i'll, I'll fall on that sword no problem you get the vote and you get to be entertained by some really good update writers julie brady is certainly our lead off hitter there darren black kicks ass uh when i have to fill in i write uh and joe Reese's does a real nice job for us uh i believe wednesday so um and who knows? Who knows what guest stars might still be in store? Who knows? Saturdays are always open. Anybody wants to do Saturdays, they're open. Um, but Julie, thanks for hopping on. It's really great to have you back with us. I know you've been looking forward to finally getting back and doing some writing after almost a couple of years away from it. So uh, I, hopefully that's been fun getting back into it. Not too daunting, but uh, been a lot of fun for you, I hope. Okay. And hey, listen, catcher, Thursdays, Fridays, the White Sox can go 0-4 in the system, and it's going to be a fun experience for you. Plus, plus, you get to vote. Or don't. You don't have to vote. You can just read. You just look at the picture, the good lead picture. Say, oh, the system sucked. Click, 
click on some more minor league, major league coverage, whatever. Uh, but if you're here and you're listening, hopefully it means you are a fan of the White Sox minor league system and the coverage we do. We try to be very exhaustive about it. Uh, and Julie is a really, really key part. I would even dare say one of our anchors on minor league coverage. And it's great having you back. Uh, I'm glad ah, that pesky school crap wound up and so you could actually <laughs> finally set your priorities straight, Julie, and write some minor league baseball for SouthSideSox.com. I'm glad that you've reassessed things in the right way. And the, and the chico is all right. Yeah. Tail whip. When the tail whips the third or fourth time, I think that is time to wind it up. <laughs> Thank you, Julie, for being uh, on with me. Let's do this again sooner than a year from now, maybe even real soon. And uh, thanks, everybody, as always, for reading, listening. Uh, Julie, thanks for joining me here today. And uh, Chico Marks, thanks for joining us as well. The true star. 